um, you know, just a wonderful thing to be able to do because of all the servants that are willing to come out and help. So be praying for them as well. And, um, and uh, those of you who are volunteering, you have T-shirts, all right? So you can start picking those up. Uh, you can see Angie or Heather. I think they'll have them at the sign-in desk out there where we have the children's ministry sign-in. And you can get your T-shirt uh, today or on Sunday as well. A couple other things coming up. Uh, there is the Young Adults uh, Barbecue Sunday uh, here uh, at 6 o'clock. And then there is the sign-up for the ladies' breakfast on June the 6th. And my wife is hosting that. So all the food is going to be provided, ladies. All you need to do is show up. And uh, our address is there, our phone number, 830 to 10. And be sure to sign up so I know how many tables to set up and chairs in the backyard. And again, we're expecting just a beautiful morning. So come and join us, uh, ladies, for the ladies' breakfast. I think we already got over 40 ladies signed up. So um, love to see you come. Also, the 55 and over ladies' luncheon on June the 9th. The sign-up is there as well. There's some other things that are there in your bulletin. Take a look at it. Lots of things taking place here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. You can check out our website as well, calvarychapelgreeley.com. But we want to get into our Bible study tonight, don't we? So we're going to start at Psalm 34, as I mentioned to you. And Father, I do pray that you just bless the teaching of the Word of God. I am so thankful for those who are here, so many coming out on a Wednesday night and uh, seeing those in the coffee shop and and all the young people that are here and and high schoolers and middle schoolers and uh, classrooms full of kids. So, Lord, I pray that we would honor you in everything that we do here and that we honor your word because, as David would write, that you honor your word above your name. And, Lord, that uh, we would uh, bless you, not only in the time of worship that we had, but our desire to grow in your word. And, Lord, may we be ones that right now are still in our seats, that our hearts are open to you, our ears spiritually, that we are people that are teachable and desiring to hear from you as we teach the word, Lord. So you be our teacher through the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, touch every heart that is here, whether it's in the sanctuary or coffee shop or listening on live stream. Lord, we desire for, to draw close to you because we know that you desire to draw close to us. So bless this time in the study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we've been going through these psalms in book one, which covers uh, Psalms 1 through 41, um, many of those psalms are written by David. Matter of fact, uh, out of the 150 psalms that we have in this book, at least half of them are written by David. So David, many of them that we've seen so far, he was writing during a time when he was going through great difficulties, and, and some of those difficulties included being pursued by Saul. And you know the, uh, the story of David in 1 Samuel, how David was the armor bearer to Saul. Saul was the king of Israel, and Saul uh, would use David to minister to him. And David uh, was seeing the hand of God on him. He killed Goliath. He was one that uh, the people would sing songs about David. Hey, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And you know how it was Saul that became very angry and jealous of David and hated him and wanted him to be killed. So Saul would throw a spear at David, not once but twice. And we know that he began to pursue David. David had to flee for his life. And in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, what we see at the beginning of that, when David was fleeing, he would go to the tabernacle. He would be provided the, um, the holy bread there at the tabernacle as the priest gave it to him. 
And then after that, he did something very, very interesting. What he did is he went into the area of the Philistines. He went to Gath, and as he's in Gath, it was the king of Gath that recognized him, and uh, the king being Abimelech. And he said, aren't you David? And you're the one that they sing songs in Israel about that you've killed, you know, his ten thousands. And it was David that became very fearful at that time. So he acted like he was insane, and he would, you know, um, you know, drool all over himself and act insane. And the king said, get him out of here. So David at that time, as you go into chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, would go to the cave of Adullam. And it is in that cave and other caves that he would hide from Saul and his men that he would write many of these songs or psalms that we have recorded here. And David writes about what he does in the time when he's afraid. And I think we learn in Psalm 34 of what you and I can do when we become afraid. And so we see in the title here that Psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Here's the thing, that when we become afraid, for whatever reason it might be, we find ourselves in a, a difficult situation. We find ourselves, you know, in, in, a, in a place where we have maybe people coming against us or a circumstance that's very, very hard or uncertainty that comes to us. We become afraid, and when we become afraid, we can begin to do things that is a compromise of the ways of the Lord. And I think that's what David did. He was afraid. And so he went to the area of the Philistines. Hey, Saul isn't going to go over there. I'll be free from him pursuing us. But then, as we know, that David would be recognized, and he pretended madness. And, and then he would go to the cave of Adullam, and there in chapter 22, his 400 mighty men would come to him. And he was learning that God was providing for him and the faithfulness of the Lord. So that's what we see, that David writes here about the faithfulness of God and, and the benefit of trusting in him. Let's begin to read Psalm 34 in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So here as David is, is writing about that experience in, in uh, Gath and what we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 21, I think that it could be that David was convicted by going into the enemy's territory and acting mad. And one of the things that we want to be careful when we find ourselves, as I mentioned, being afraid or there's uncertainty, that we don't go into the enemy's territory. In other words, we don't begin to compromise, you know, our ways. We think, if I go over here or do it the world's way, then, you know, it'll be okay and the pressure will be off of me. And there's a great tendency in that. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 tells us that the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And always remember this, that there is safety and security in the Lord and doing it the Lord's way. So we need to be careful that we say, Lord, I am afraid. And we can tell the Lord that. We can, in the honesty of our hearts, say, Lord, I am afraid right now. And Lord, I need your strength and I need your comfort and I need your direction and wisdom right now. And the Lord desires to minister that to us as we just trust in him. So as we go through this psalm here, I think that we're going to see four things that we can do when we find ourselves 
in a situation that brings fear into our lives. And we see the first one here in the first three verses is that we bless the Lord. And that's what David did. Now, you might think, well, that seems kind of odd, bless the Lord. Blessing the Lord is simply when you're desiring to honor the Lord uh, and going to Him. Blessing the Lord means that you are boasting, exalting, magnifying His name. Lord, I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to magnify you, not my situation, but I'm going to get my eyes focused on you, and I'm going to bless Him. And sometimes Christians don't realize that we can bless the Lord. I believe that we bless the Lord tonight as we come in and as we worship the Lord and just hearing the voices go up before the Lord in worship and praise, coming in one accord and one heart together as a congregation worshiping Him. I believe that we bless Him and we come and we open up our Bibles and we're desiring to hear from Him and go through His Word. Not very many people do that on a Wednesday night, going through the Old Testament, but we've chosen to do that. And so we bless the Lord by coming and learning of Him and desiring to know Him and grow in the love of Jesus Christ, magnifying His name. So when we find ourselves being afraid, number one, we see that it was David that he blessed the Lord. And then in verse 4 and following through verse 9, we see that he continues writing, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So first of all, not only are we to bless the Lord, but second of all, what we are to do is seek the Lord. And he is the one who delivers us from our fears. I can trust the Lord to protect me and to deliver me. Taste and see that the Lord is good, as we read there in verse 8. Here's the thing. I can look at a piece of pie. Matter of fact, out there in the coffee shop, there were some great snacks that were out there. And, uh, yeah, there was, wasn't there? And there's those cookies and, and um, Rice Krispie treats. And I can look at them, and I can say, ooh, that looks really good. But until I actually take one and eat one, which I did, then I know how good that it is. I taste it and see that it's good. And it's the same with the Lord. I think a lot of Christians that in their heads and, and they say, I know that the Lord is good. I, I know that, that um, I believe in Him, but they really don't submit their lives to Him in a way that they are tasting Him to see that He is good and faithful, that He's going to see you through. And again, there can be in that time of fear of, uh, I know that the Lord is good, but I, I think I'll go in this direction or compromise in this way or, or go in this philosophy or of the world, what's telling you to do. And we need to be ones that say, you know what, the Lord is good, and I'm going to taste and see that He is good. I'm going to know of His faithfulness as I just follow after Him wholeheartedly. And unless you taste it, you won't really come to that place of, of taking in of the Lord and trusting Him. You're not going to see how it is that He works for you and how good He is in working in your life. So taste and see that the Lord is good and blesses the man who trusts in Him. And then in verse 9, O fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life 
who loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And then in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So number one, we bless the Lord. Second of all, you can write in your margins or in your notes, seek the Lord. And then thirdly, David says, fear the Lord. And those who fear the Lord, listen, don't need to fear anything else. And we fear God knowing that he is sovereign and in control and he blesses. In other words, David writes that his eyes are on the righteous and against those who do evil. Remember that as we go through this, perhaps you're thinking that these verses sound a little bit familiar, and they are familiar because in our recent study of Peter, in 1 Peter, that we were in chapter 3 just a few weeks ago, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Peter is quoting from these verses that we read here in chapter 34 of Psalm, verses 12 and 14. And when was Peter writing that epistle? You remember? He's writing that epistle... When the Christians were being persecuted, they're being dispersed. Persecution has come by the hands of Caesar Nero, and they were afraid. There was uncertainty. So here Peter is talking to the Christians. He starts out by telling them of this wonderful salvation that they have. And then he says they have a glorious status in the Lord, that we're living stones being put together. And, and then this is how you're to conduct yourself, which is honorable before men. And in that, he's telling the Christians, quoting from here, how it is that they are to act and how it is that they are to conduct themselves, even in those times when they can become very fearful. And what I see here in these verses that we just read is that, you know, David writes and he shows us that we should, number one, desire what is good, verse 12. As he said, desire the abundant life that God wants us to have. It comes by fearing God. We are to love many days that he may see good. Do you realize that the Lord desires for you and me to experience that abundant life? What does that mean? That life of blessing, that life of just uh, being strong and courageous in the Lord, that life of experiencing uh, the Lord's goodness and being refreshed by the Lord and, and walking in His ways. His ways are good. You see, the children of Israel, as you read the book of Exodus and, and the book of Numbers, those particularly two books, you see the disobedience of the children of Israel. They come up to the border of the promised land in the second year of their exodus to Kadesh Berea, and, and they're told to go into the promised land. And so what they did was they sent spies into the promised land. You know the story. And they came back after 40 days, and they're carrying great big grapes and fruit, right? Matter of fact, it says that two of them were carrying them on poles, these great big clusters of grapes. I think, this is my own opinion, that it was Joshua and Caleb that was carrying those grapes, those two guys. And they plop them down. They said, the land is good. The land is good. Of course it's good because the Lord said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and, and as they were describing the goodness of the land, people were going, great, super. But then they said, uh, there's giants in the land. And there's large cities, and there's a lot of Canaanites, and the people begin to murmur and complain, right? You know the story of Numbers chapters 13 and 14. And so they wanted to stone Moses, and, and they wanted to go back to Egypt, Egypt, a picture of the world. And it was the Lord 
that would say to them, because of your disobedience and because you're not believing in me, because you continue to be stiff-necked and, and rebel against me, you're going to be in this wilderness for 40 years till this generation dies out. And the wilderness became the largest graveyard in human history as they did lap after lap after lap in that desert around Mount Sinai. I think that a lot of Christians don't go across the Jordan, which is a picture of the abundant life that the Lord has for us, a life that is good and a life that has blessing in it because you are stepping out in faith and trusting the Lord. And what happens is a lot of Christians end up doing lap after lap there in the wilderness where they have a dry, barren experience because they lack faith, because they're not trusting and resting in the promises of God. And you see, that's what was happening to them. And here David, he is one that's saying, oh, see the good of days. The Lord wants me to experience that abundant life as I, number one, bless the Lord. Secondly, seek the Lord and then fear the Lord, having a reverence for him. And I'm desiring to do what is good, verse 12. And then secondly, speak what is true, verse 13. We are to guard our words. We are to control the tongue. Sometimes that's very difficult to do especially when we have people coming against us, especially when we have people that are criticizing us, that we need to learn to control the tongue and to be quick to hear and slow to speak and to remember what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary for edification. It's so easy to get the tongue wagon and this six muscles, you know, six ounces of muscle in your mouth can cause a lot of hurt and damage by the things that we say. And you see, it's not just what we say, but we can think those things and we can begin to let everybody else know by all kinds of means, social media and, and all kinds of ways that is very easily accessible to us and to a whole lot of people. We need to be careful what we say. And that's what David, he was one that you recall that we saw last week that he was one, even though I desired to say something, that I wanted to honor the Lord in what I said, and I'm going to keep silent. And sometimes it's better to keep silent, but speak what is true, verse 13. And then thirdly, pursue what is right in these verses that Peter was quoting from. We need to pursue what is right and, and, and have, you know, pursue peace, which means that we want to be able to work it out with God's help in our situation. It is Paul that would write in the Romans that, you know, seek peace with everyone if possible. I'm glad that Paul put that, if possible, you know, qualification in there because sometimes we need to step away from this situation and separate ourselves from that situation that we're in. But we are the desire to seek peace, not to be at war with people, not in contention with people all the time, not seeking to tear them down, but to do what is good and right. And then fourthly, expect that God wants what is best as we trust in him. And he mentions that in verse 15. Listen, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Matter of fact, the eyes of the Lord are on those whose hearts are loyal towards him, as the prophet would say, that he desires to show himself strong on behalf of those who are loyal towards the Lord, has a loyal heart towards the Lord, and desiring to do what is good and to know this, that God wants to do what is best for us as well. You know, in verse 10, he says, those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. The Lord will not withhold anything that is good for you and for me. Do you know that? 
And it was Paul that he would write in Romans chapter 8, you know the verse, that what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And the implication there is that freely give us all good things. And listen, if you're asking for something from the Lord and he's not given it to you, then it's not good for you, at least at this time. Or perhaps the Lord has something better for you. Or maybe the Lord says no because he does say no at times to our prayer requests and our requests because he knows it's not good for us. We think it might be, but I think that those of us who have been walking with the Lord for any length of time or a little bit older, we can think back of things that we prayed for and the Lord said no. And I have found this to be true in my own life, that no from the Lord is a very wonderful answer. That when he says no, it's because he's protecting me. Or he sees something that you know, could happen that I have no you know, idea could happen or aware of the situation. He's protecting me. Or perhaps, as I mentioned to you, he does have something better. Or sometimes the Lord says, you need to wait. I want you to wait and continue to trust in me day after day after day, moment by moment. You see, we want to know what the answer is going to be tomorrow because we live in an instant world. And we have talked about how David has written repeatedly that wait on the Lord, I say wait. Be courageous and, and wait on him. And know that you and I need to learn in our spiritual life, especially in the world where everything's so instantaneous and we want things right away and we want things to happen, you know, instantly and right now to wait on the Lord. And the Lord wants us to wait on him so we can hear from him, we can grow in our trust of him, and that we can just continue to see the Lord working in wonderful ways in our lives. And it's good for us to do that. So he's not going to withhold anything that is good for you. And perhaps there's somebody that's here tonight, and you're thinking, I've been praying for this, but the Lord has been saying no. It's because he wants the very best for you. And how do I know that? Because he's already given you the very best. For he who did not spare his own son, he's given you his son who died for you. And Jesus went to that cross because of his love for you. And he demonstrated his love for you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as he went to that cross, to that place of execution, there out the Damascus gate, to that place that was called Golgotha or Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue, it was a place of the skulls. It was a place where Jesus hung between heaven and earth because he loves you and he died for you. And if you can trust him with your salvation, you can trust him with your life. That he's not going to withhold anything good from you. And that's what David is recognizing here in this psalm. So we are to bless the Lord, seek the Lord, fear the Lord. And then in verse 17 to the end of the psalm, we read the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such who have a contrite spirit. Verse 18 is a verse that I have underlined. Perhaps you do too in your Bible. The Lord is near to you that are here tonight listening that perhaps your heart is broken and there's sorrow and grief that is in your heart. And he saves such who have a contrite spirit. That literally means that has a broken spirit, crushed. And maybe tonight you feeling crushed because of a situation or hurt that you've gone through. Maybe you're feeling crushed because of a disappointment. But the Lord is near to you, and he knows exactly what it is that you're going through. 
and he desires to minister his comfort to you at this time. And then in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken, and evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. So number one, we bless the Lord. Secondly, seek the Lord. Thirdly, fear the Lord. And then fourthly, trust the Lord. We are never promised as a child of God that we are going to be exempt from trouble. Even though the popularity sermons today are all about God just wants you to be happy and you'll never have any troubles, that's not what the Bible teaches. Matter of fact, Jesus said that you will have tribulation. He did not say that you might have tribulation or it's a possibility. Oh boy, I hope it doesn't happen to you. He said in this world, because we live in a fallen world, and we live in a world where there's sin and sickness and there's sorrow and disease and disappointments, and the world hates us and will come against us, we will go through tribulation. But Jesus didn't just leave us there, did he? He said, but be a good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And I'm so grateful that Jesus came and overcame sin and death for you and for me. So trust in the Lord, as, as David says, and then as we trust in him, he promises to see us through, and he is near, and he's near to those, again, who have a broken heart. Our spirits are crushed, and there's no condemnation for those who trust in him. So a very special psalm in Psalm 34. And then in Psalm 35, it's a psalm of David. This is an imprecatory psalm is what it's called. In other words, it's a psalm that the writer is calling on God's judgment against those who come against God's people. And in this psalm of David, what we're going to see is he's going to ask for three things. Verse 1 of Psalm 35, plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me and take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Also draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Verse 4, let those be put to shame and, and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Let them be like chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause they have hidden their net for me in a pit which they have dug without cause for my life. Let destruction come upon him unexpectedly and let his net that he has hidden catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And then in verse 9, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. And so we see here that the first thing that David asked for is that protect me, Lord. Lord, you deal with the wicked. You protect me. And it's a good thing when we let the Lord protect us. Lord, as David is praying in this psalm, that you block them, you confuse them, you shame them, you, you turn them back, make them like chaff before the wind, let them be caught up in their own net that they set. And we need to leave situations in the Lord's hand, not to take matters into our own hands. And that's why the Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And the reason that he says that is because he is telling us that you leave it to me because you can't handle it. So vengeance is mine, and he is perfectly capable 
of taking care of you and me in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. And that can be very, very hard because we can think, I want to get at that dirty rat who's treating me bad, who has cut me deep, who's hurt me badly. And I think that a lot of us know how it feels that we want to be vengeful, but we know that God says, don't do it because you can't handle it. And you are going to do some things that are going to end up hurting a lot of people and including yourself. David was one that said as he was being pursued by Saul, and it's probably during this time that he's writing this psalm, that I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Why was David saying that? He was not going to be vengeful. He was not going to, to, to do evil. He knew that the Lord had set Saul up as king, and I am going to let the Lord take him out as king. I am not going to manipulate the situation. So David desired in his integrity to say, you know what, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He had opportunity to kill Saul not once but twice, to lop his head off. And I think, how did David do that? Because if it was me, it may have been a different story. And I'm just telling you out of the honesty of my heart, you know. But David was in a time here where he was learning more and more to trust the Lord and to allow the Lord to protect him. So that's what he's doing here. And he, Lord, there's none like you. And David knows that God is just. And David wants to rejoice in his salvation. And then in verse 11, fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fastings and, and my prayer would return to my own heart. I pace about as though he were my friend or brother. I bow down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoice and gather together. Attackers gathered against me, and I did not know it. They tore at me and did not cease. With ungodly mockers at feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. And in verse 17, Lord, how long will you look on and rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lines? I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. So we see here that as David asked, first of all, protect me, Lord, and then second of all, reward me, Lord. And as David is writing this at a time when there were guys that were David's friends. And now we see that they are turning against David, being pursued by Saul. And it didn't happen just for a week. It didn't happen for just a month. It happened for about 12 years. David in the prime of his life. David who would not see his family. It is believed that rabbinical scholars tell us that it was David's parents that were sent off to Moab to protect them and part of their family. And so David didn't see his family for many, many years because of what was going on. But he was determined that I'm going to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And as I have said many times, but remember this, as we talked about on Sunday, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you be established in them. You don't let other people determine how it is that you react in a situation you let the Lord determine how it is that you're going to react. And you seek Him, and He will reward you as you do what is right. And so David now writes the third request, the third thing that we see in this psalm, starting at verse 19. 
and let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful manners against the quiet ones in the land. They also opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. In verse 22, This you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silence. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, oh, ah, we would have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. And then in verse 26, let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion, who rejoice at my hurt. And let them be clothed with shame and dishonor, who exalt themselves against me. And let them shout for joy and be glad, who favors my righteous cause. And let them say continually, the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. First of all, you protect me. Second of all, reward me. Thirdly, vindicate me. Don't let the enemy have victory over me, Lord. Let them not say we have swallowed him up, verse 25. And when David writes here that they're saying, aha, aha, it was like they're mocking David. It was like they were cursing at David. Oh, we have that blankety blank, whatever. They were rejoicing in the hurt that they brought, exalting themselves and bringing confusion to David. And some of you have been through an experience like that. But he says, Lord, vindicate me according to your righteousness. And then he says something again very important that I want to point out in verses 27 and 28. May my tongue speak of your righteousness. He didn't speak evil of others. But I'm going to speak of you, Lord. And I think that's a good thing for us to remember when we're being attacked or persecuted, when people are dumping all over us that I'm going to speak of your righteousness because here's the thing that we have a tendency to do, to go home and just blah, all this stuff comes out, you know, at the dinner table, you know, to our spouse and around the kids and so-and-so here at work or, you know, so-and-so neighbor or whatever it may be. We need to be careful. And David says, I want my tongue to speak of your righteousness. And he says, I'm going to magnify the Lord. I think we don't do that enough as Christians, and I'll speak for myself. But there are times when I am saying things that really what I need to be doing is magnifying the Lord. And I need to be speaking of His righteousness and His goodness. So it's an area that the Lord is still working in me. But David teaches me something here. As he's here, you know, going through such difficulty and hardships, unjustly being treated, that he says that I'm going to speak of your righteousness. I'm not going to speak evil of others. And I'm going to magnify the Lord. And I'm going to magnify him, and that is glorifying the Lord. So a good psalm for us to remember and learn from as we are going through that difficult uh, situation with somebody. And then Psalm 36, to the chief musician, a psalm of David the servant of the Lord. Did you catch that? A psalm of David the servant. I love how the men of faith in the scriptures would refer themselves as a servant. Remember, as we opened up Peter's epistle, he said what? He said a servant and an apostle. He said he was a servant first, and then he was an apostle. 
a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And we know what a bondservant is, according to Numbers chapter 6, is that Hebrew slave would be freed in the seventh year if he decided that I'm going to stay with my master. I love my master. He treats me well. I want to serve him the rest of my life. They would put his ear lobe against the doorpost, and they would pierce his ear, and he would be marked. He would be then considered bondservant, and he would serve his master for the rest of his life. You and I, more than anything, that we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. And what that means is we are saying that I love you, Lord, and you treat me good. You've saved me. You've forgiven me. And I want to serve you all the days of my life freely, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul would call himself as well as other men of faith that we see in the Scriptures. But as we read here in chapter 36, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed, and he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. So David speaks of the wickedness of men in this psalm, and then he's going to to praise the Lord and speak of God's goodness. But as he speaks of the wickedness of men, the, the corruption of their heart, they have no fear of God. The one who does not fear the Lord it becomes very prideful and their confidence is in their sin. They think that they're wise, but they're foolish. And notice that here in verse 4, they devise wickedness on their beds. In other words, they lay in bed at night thinking how it is that they can do evil and wicked things. That was the condition that we see in the Old Testament of Israel and Judah in that time that they were rebelling against the Lord. As the prophets came, and we know that even in the times of the house of Israel or the house of Judah was in a prosperous time, perhaps economically, socially, but it was a time where the people were being dishonest. And it was a time of violence. It was a time where they were ripping their brothers off. And the same thing was said of them that they would lay in bed thinking, how can I uh, take advantage of my brother, rip him off in dealings and stuff? And that was a problem that the prophet said, you need to turn away from that. How it is that you're treating your brethren? Kind of reminds me of what we see today too much in our nation and in our society. We see it more and more how there are those that lay in bed They're prideful. They're arrogant. They have confidence in their sin. Seeking who it is that they can rip off. All the scams. Seeking to to rip off the the vulnerable, the weak, our young people, you know, the older people. Seeking to exploit them. And we need to pray. And we need to, to warn. And that's why I have such a heart For our young people, it is such a blessing to see all the kids that are here and all the youth kids that are here and the young people that are here. I love the rest of us. Don't misunderstand me. I love you guys. But they are such targets of the enemy today. You know what? They will tell you that any teenage runaway, when they run away, it is those who do wickedly and looking to exploit them will find them within a matter of hours. They have ways to do that. To bring them into prostitution or drugs or something like that. It is very dark out there and it's getting darker. To exploit them. To exploit and rip off our elderly, 
our most vulnerable. And it breaks our heart, doesn't it? And anybody who thinks that our hope is in the world is so sadly deceived. And you and I have opportunity to be a light in this dark world. And I'm so thankful that we have the light of God's word to direct us and give us wisdom. But we need to be praying for our young people. And that's why that I pray for them. And I know you do as well as a congregation. But we want them to know the word of God that there's safety and security and a good life in that, that the world is going to beat you up and is going to deceive you, and there's no hope in the world. And that's why it's sad when we see the church today that's trying to entertain our young people into the Lord or, or you know, using the world's methods and stuff. There's no hope in that. And besides, when the church tries to, out you know, tries to entertain our kids, we can't out-entertain the world. That's one thing that the world will do better, and that is out-entertain us if we try to do it. But there's something that we can do that the world can't, and that is love them and give them truth. To love them and give them truth. And I pray for you that are here, that when you see the young people, our children, in our youth, high schools, middle schoolers, our young people, that you tell them that you care for them and love them and you're glad to see them. And I know that the Lord desires to do so much in their lives, that this is a place where they can hear God's truth and be encouraged in the things of the Lord. So here David talking about, you know, even on their bed they devise wickedness. And we see that today in our society. In verse 5, for mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. And your judgments are a great deep. And O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O Lord. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So David once again places himself in the Lord's hand. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I like that. Far-reaching. David knew of God's faithfulness and put himself under God's protection. The shadow of your wings is a picture of you've ever seen a bird that will spread out the wings to protect you know, her young in a nest. Or it reminds me of what Jesus, when he wept over Jerusalem, and they said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, there right before his crucifixion. How I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but she would not come. The Lord weeping for Jerusalem that had rejected him, that he knew in a few hours it was going to cry out, crucify him, that the Lord wanted to gather them to himself and to protect them. And he said, you will no longer see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Speaking of the time when they will receive him, and that's a time of the restoration of Israel that is yet future. So here David is putting himself under the protection of the Lord that he knew that he needed to do that. And then in verse 8, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. As we commit ourselves to the Lord, we will find rest and satisfaction in the Lord. For you are the fountain of life. He would tell this Samaritan woman that if you drink of this water, Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give to you, you're going to drink the living waters 
and you're going to be satisfied. I have living water to give to you. And it would be shortly after that, as you read in John chapter 7, that on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, as they would have the procession of priests that would go from the temple down. When we go to Jerusalem, we show you this. And they went down to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. They would fill up their jars, and they would come back, and they would pour out their jars, the, tap, the Feast of Tabernacles there, the Great Feast, as it's called there in John chapter 7. And it was a time where they commemorated the Lord brought us out through the wilderness, and in the wilderness, they, he, he gave us water from the rock, and he gave us manna, bread. And as they would do that, they, they did that for the whole week of the fest. People out there in their, their booths, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was like a great big camp out, just a great time. And here they are, and they would sleep under the stars, and the fathers would teach the children how the Lord brought them through the wilderness, and they slept under the stars for 40 years, but the Lord brought them into the promised land. So on the last day of the great feast, what would happen is, is that the priests would go down there, and then they would come back with their jars, but they didn't have any water. And it symbolized that when they came into the promised land, no more manna fell from heaven. No more water that came from the rock. They were in a land flowing with milk and honey. And it was at that time they would say a few pilgrim psalms, and then there would be this, this silence that they would have at that time in anticipation of the Messiah. And it was at that time Jesus stood up and said, If any of you drink, come to me and, and drink. If any of you thirst, come to me. And out of your bellies will flow torrents of living water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. So I want to end tonight with this. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty in your heart and in your soul? Then go to the source of the living waters. And Jesus would say that whoever eats of me and drinks of me shall never hunger and thirst again. And true satisfaction and fulfillment is found with that closeness with the Lord. And David knew that 3,000 years ago. They satisfy with the fullness of your house and give them drink from the rivers of your pleasures. And for with you, the fountain of life, in your light we see life. And then we see that David expresses his confidence that God will cast down the wicked and he'll continue his loving kindness to those who know him. Why? Because your loving kindness, Lord, what? Reaches to the sky. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time and these three psalms that we went over. And Lord, we learned so much. The heart of the psalmist here, inspired by you to write these things down. But Lord, we want to be able to have that same kind of closeness and fellowship and in tune with your Holy Spirit speaking to us in the times of difficulties and hardships. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. I pray that everyone was edified and encouraged and that we would know that you protect us, that, Lord, that we can rest in your promises, that, Lord, that you will reward us as we do what is right and we can trust you in our difficult situations. And knowing this, that you're not going to withhold anything good because you did not spare your own son. And so I do pray tonight, if there's anyone that perhaps may be here, sitting in the coffee shop, listening on live stream, that might listen to this later on a CD or a podcast or maybe on the radio, 
that if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that he is the source of living water. There's none other. That he is your salvation. There's none other. That he is the way, not a way, but the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus went to that cross because of his love for you. And he died for your sins because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And he cried out from that cross, it is finished. I've paid the price, I've done the work. And he was put into a grave and he rose again from the grave three days later. He conquered sin and death. He proved who he was, the son of God who died for our sins. He validated that he died for our sins and that his death on the cross was sufficient for forgiveness and eternal life. And now you come in faith. You can't earn your salvation. You can't work for it. But you come and receive it as a gift as you admit that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus. You surrender your life to Him. And if that means anything to anyone here tonight, today is the day of salvation because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. For you to come and surrender your life to Jesus because His loving kindness reaches to the sky. And He loves you and wants you to be a part of the family of God and to give you a new beginning to be forgiven of sin and have the promise of eternal life that only comes through Jesus. Will you give your life to him? If that means anything to anyone, you pray right where you are, Jesus, I come to you a sinner in need of you, the Savior of the world. And I open up my heart to you because I believe that you're the Son of God who died for my sins. And you rose again from the grave and that you're alive knocking on the door of my heart. And now I open my heart to you for you to sit upon the throne of my life. I believe in you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. 